Welcome everyone to Previously in the Multiverse. I am Pierre, and joining me as always is Connor. Yep, still here. This is our sister show to Comics in the Multiverse, the DC Comics podcast. That, is, of course, is us looking at new books with Matt. But on this show, we are working our way through some classic runs. Uh, and coming up on this week's show, we have the next two books in the post-crisis Batman slots, which is Detective Comics 577, continuing Batman Year 2. And Batman 411, continuing the, the Jason Todd introduction slash early days. Uh, so that's first. And then we got Wonder Woman issue 2 from the Perez run, the Flash 74 from Wage Run, the start of the return of the Barry Allen storyline. So uh, that's the return of the Barry Allen, uh, I said there. And I'll, I'll stand by it. Um, sometimes you you stumble into a, a better version. Uh, Birds of Prey issue 8 from the Chuck Dixon, yeah, the Chuck Dixon run. Uh, GSA 17, continuing John's GSA run, just like Power Rangers issue 3, and Batgirl 14 from the Stephanie Brown run uh, to wrap things up. So that is what's coming up on Previously in the Multiverse this week. I have no preamble. I mean, I guess... Oh, okay. I, I thought you were going to jump right into it. Uh, that's, that's why I didn't say anything. I thought you were pausing to give yourself a nice clean point to jump into. I mean, well, it'll be David that'll be cutting up, but I mean, I... <laughs> I, I uh, you'll get a clean pause. I'm good with the pauses. I, I know, and that's what I thought you were doing. I'm, I'm giving you credit. I suppose usually there's a little bit of a intro before we start talking it, about the books. Is, uh, I'll be honest, I've forgotten how we do this show. It's usually something. I, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe we'll talk about changes on DC Universe one week, or I suppose this week could be... The Snyder Cut trailer, people really... <laughs> I've got nothing that. to say about it because I haven't seen it. <laughs> no, don't worry, I'll save that for the main show this week. Uh, people people want to know. I'm sure Matt's watched the trailer, at the very least. Car- probably has. Car, did you know we're living in a society? I, I didn't even know about this meme until this week, so... It passed me by. Well, that's strange, because you're living in a society. And in that society, do we all know that we're living in a society? This is this is pertinent knowledge. Mm-hmm. Is it really? Yes. I'm trying to suck the life out of this podcast. I'm trying to I... give this a heartbeat, a pulsing heartbeat of energy, and you sit there and you well, look. Here's everything. the thing: you decided that your preamble would be the topic that I have publicly stated I am not saying anything about. I don't care about your weird. Like, I'm refusing to talk about the Snyder Cut. What? God, it's... This is not my fault. This is on you for not not remembering. I remember. Like, I even paid attention in the first place. P- probably not. But this is this still. is just to me. I don't care. I'll, I'll sit and talk about the Snyder Cut then. For uh, so you so you're not excited for uh, the four by three? I have literally no idea what you're on about. You know what 4x3 means, don't play dumb. I know what 4x3 is, but I don't know about it in context to the Snyder Cut, because I haven't read anything about it. Well, oh, what what could it possibly mean? Snyder Cut and 4x3, what could I possibly be, be saying? I don't, what I meant is, I don't know if you're saying the whole thing's in 4x3, there's a 4x3 trailer, I, I don't know, because I haven't read a thing about it. Well, the whole thing's in 4x3. So, th- apparently this opening <laughs> segment is making sure Connor knows everything there is to know about the Snyder Cut, because he's clearly, he needs to know these things, These are impo- this is important. Yes, I, I need to know all the information about something I'm never going to experience. <laughs> this, this is super important. It's all thanks to 4x3. 
Uh, Zack Steyer, for some reason, has decided that he wants the full open mat IMAX version to be the, the only way it's viewable. Even though he clearly was going to shoot it with, you know, the idea that it was it was going to be viewed by most people in a certain ratio within that, and it had been framed properly for that. But he wants to go full frame for some reason, so. Let him do what he wants. Yeah. His movie. I, I don't care. <laughs> that might be the public statement that you don't want to you want to talk about it or see it or because it i don't it. care and i don't want to add to, to things without having context and reading and caring this is exactly my Act, point actively avoiding it and making a statement saying you're not going to look at it is by definition in some way caring I, I made my statement at the start i'm never going to watch it i don't want to watch it i have no interest in watching it i'm not going to consume any of the trailers i'm not going to read articles about it i'm going to ignore it and let the people who want it then go off in their own bubble and enjoy it and I will just happily ignore it forever. So you don't care then, is what you said. So all that was to say you don't care. That I don't care enough to watch it. That's a very different statement. It's a very different statement. That, that, that sounded like a speech of someone who's very passionate about this subject, quite frankly. Honestly, I'm very dispassionate about it. I'm kind of over it. <laughs> I'm, what I'm passionate about is the fact that you are in, entirely just trying to get a rise out of it. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not giving you this prize. I'm not. I'm not discussing this. So instead, we are going to discuss me not discussing it, and it, it seems to have worked. What does what you just work? That has worked. <laughs> Shut up. Try to tell me it's worked. Is just going to ensure that I'm going to sit you for ten minutes detailing frame by frame what the trailer had. I mean, you can do that if you want. I'll just sit here and not listen to you like I do half the time anyway. Dark side was in it. He's there. Oh, I'm shocked. I'm shocked the villain was in the trailer. Joker showed up at the end, saying that he lives in a society, of course. It's uh, uh, the only thing I know, because <laughs> because that was going around, and I was like, I don't, and, and I, I don't know, maybe you shared the link of what the meme was, because I hadn't seen it before. <laughs> um, but someone shared it, and I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll see that, it's just because I want context of what this meme is. Uh, because, you know, meme culture is, is significantly more important to me, apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. So I want everyone to know at Connor Ryan eighty four, he doesn't care about the Snyder Cut. So by all means, please give him as much information as you possibly can on Twitter. You can give me the, the Snyder Cut. I'm going to engage with it. Post screenshots, disguise them as memes, but he's going to take in all this information anyway because it's there. <laughs> Just... To be honest, if you distill every frame of that trailer into a meme and put an actual meme out of it, I I, I will. I will then engage with that trailer through through that format, probably. It's like when when all these when this hits and screenshots from it inevitably end enter all the the meme culture and all the shit posting groups that I'm part of decide to use shots from it in their own you know specific context of their group. I will see a lot of those things, but that will be the extent of it. Get to work, people on social media. Make sure Connor's flooded with Snyder Cut. I'm, I'm really glad there's a month's delay on this for the public right now. I bet you are. But, but that just means there's going to be a lot more stuff they can share because the movie will be... <laughs> they'll have four well, hours... Will it, they'll will have, it be out in a month? They'll have four hours of material. <laughs> I didn't even know it would be out this time in a month. <laughs> yes, March. I think it's 18th. But, you know, we're... A month. It's a month. That is about a month, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. They're going to have four hours of footage to take for... <laughs> <laughs> let them <laughs> alright that's not about comics 
Detective Comics 577, Mike W. Barr, rating with Todd McFarlane on art. So we actually didn't get an, an issue this last time because of the Batman annual threw things off. So we're back to this is part three of Batman Year Two. And I think what's funny about this issue is that I'm going to say something very similar to what I said about last issue. Even though, the end of last issue, so we like most of the issue, and then the, the one thing we were about, eh, about was the ending with, the, oh, you have to work with Joe Chill. The funny thing about this issue is that I really like almost all of it, and then the last page sort of, like, does something, I'm like, eh, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> like, I felt almost the exact same thing. Because I actually I actually really enjoyed the vast majority of this issue. That's interesting. I um I like the art a lot. Oh, that's great. Um, mm. I, I will say the last page is absolutely the worst, uh, or more specifically, the last panel. I think it is, sure. is 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 the really bad moment that I'm sure you're on about here. But a lot of it, I still felt like, why are we doing this? Why are we working with Joe Chillen? They try and like, re- you know, meta answer that where they they have characters being like, I can't believe you're working with your parents' killer, and I'm like, yeah, but. He doesn't give a good enough answer. It never convinces me that this is necessary. But he's just like, this is what we've got to do to take down the Reaper. And I'm like, is it though? Well, he's wrong. I think that's kind of the, the fundamental thing I came, came to. But mostly I was just really into the atmosphere of everything it was doing. Largely through the art, but I even thought the storytelling, uh, where they, they go and like, you know, find someone who'll set up a deal to lure out the Reaper later in the issue. So there's a segment where they sort of break into some drug dealers or whatever it is and make them set something up and obviously batman stops joe from killing some people uh oh notably not every single one there's one guy at the end who does get shot um and obviously batman's not happy about it uh mob bosses basically say to joe chill that he's there you know you can kill bat after this is all done after the reaper's down you can kill batman because we don't want him around either naturally uh and with some more of the engagement stuff which we'll get to um but if i not even get to because that's kind of the point i was going to make is that there's a scene where there's like a dinner and it's like Bruce with uh, Leslie and young Miss uh, was it Casp- Caspian, right? Because obviously Father Caspian's the the Reaper, right? So we've known this. Um, yes. And there's a whole thing where he's like, ah, oh, you're the one who's convinced my daughter to not go to the convent and you know take her vows and all that. And he's like, well, yeah, but I'm glad she did. <laughs> I'm like, I bet you are, Bruce. I bet you are. I- what is the time passage of this? Because by the end of this uh, this section, Bruce is like, "It's fine. I, I I'm absolutely in love with the Adora. I never do anything to her." I'm like, "Didn't you just meet her like a week ago?" Yeah, well, that's a staple of old stories. Uh, it in is, general, but but, uh, but what I liked about this is that they, they sort of like both say they can't do anything else for the rest of the night, and it's because they both have plans as Batman and the Reaper. And do they, like that split panel of yeah. them both kind of. Outfitting and, up. and that's really good. But what I like about it is that the next page is the split panels again of like you know Batman's gliding through the sky, Reaper's, I guess, gliding as well or jumping over a fence, whatever he's doing. Jumping, yeah, I wouldn't call it gliding. And it's just that Batman arriving in an alleyway with Joe Chill and Joe Chill. Okay, it's time to go. I I felt a genuine, like, really good pace of like build up to okay. This big, you know, this, I don't know what call it, a sting per se, but this, this trap they're trying to set for Reaper. Uh, I really felt a good sort of build up to it in, in, the, in the storytelling that, well, I honestly love the whole having to work with Joe Chill stuff so much, but they're getting a lot out of it where, you know, Bruce having to go and work with them and kind of the atmosphere leading up to this. And then Gordon also has a tip that this thing's going down. So the police are coming in, which is the, the, the big sort of wild card, if you will, mm. uh, in this as well. And we get this whole thing where Reaper starts killing off some of the undercover cops because he's smarter than obviously everyone thinks he is. 
Uh, and it gets very bloody and very violent, and uh, I, I did like some of the sound effects and all, all the rest of it. Um, you know, I love how grungy all this feels. I, it, it definitely makes me want to go back and read uh, uh, Spawn, just because McFarlane oh, yeah, did a lot say, of that. You, um, you know, there's a reason McFarlane has the reputation that he does, right? Yeah. His art is very good for this type of thing. Uh, of course, uh, Batman ends up, you know, helping Gordon not get shot and, and so on. Uh, and the Reaper ultimately gets away. Uh, Joe chills an idiot and shoots some ether, <laughs> which, as you'd expect, does go boom. Uh, it goes womb, according to the sound effect. Oh, sorry, yes, womb. Um, but yeah, but there's a, there's a great moment where uh, Joe chills like high off the edge of the roof and Batman, you know, has this moment where he's looking at him dangling off the roof and they get the close-up panel in the eyes as he's decided and, and well, I will complain usually about too many flashbacks to the shooting. I, I do think here it's fine for him to have a quick black and white like image of him shooting the gun on the night of his murderous parents. I think that's fine. What, you, what you're saying is there's no pearls. So there's no good. pearls, yes. Yes, there's no pearls. If, if this had ended with the pearls, <laughs> we'd, we'd have had a very different reaction, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I think it's justified here. It, it'd equally be justified, say, if, uh, let's say he turned around, Joe Chill was pointing a gun at him, if he had, like, a quick flashback to have, you know, him pointing the gun that many years ago, I'd be fine Which, with that. Given that they want Joe Chill to kill him at the end of the story, nah, I feel like they probably yeah. should have saved this moment for that. Very possibly. Um, unfortunately, though, it's like, okay, we'll have to try better next time. Batman does choose to save him, obviously, but uh, when he walks off, this is the, the, the one thing I hate in the issue. <laughs> is this last page, this last panel particularly, where Batman holding the gun, this is the narration, I saved him only because I need him, Father, but once we have slain the Reaper, I swear my next victim will be the man who killed you, and I promise he'll know the reason why. Like, whoa, 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 why, why is he going full vengeance now? What's, what's going on? Yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, There's a couple of moments, again, um, earlier in the book where uh, Batman pulls out the gun at one point, and Joe Chill's like, oh, yeah, for a guy who doesn't like guns, you're packing a serious cannon there. And then has some, like, inner monologue of, like, just have a piece just like that myself. I'm like, oh, really? And, you know, it's things like that. And then you get to this at the end, where it's like, oh, he's going to kill Joe Chill with his own gun. I'm like, oh, I hate this so much. Yeah. That's the funny thing. I actually enjoyed the vast majority of the issue. I just hate this last page. It's so bad. Uh... Because I, I, I like how it builds the, the the first time they're working together and the slow tension of it and the, like, you know, is Joe going to do something very, you know, Batman disapproves of. It feels very uneasy, there's an uneasy alliance. And then I like the the pacing of like, okay, we've had the dinner and then they're going out for their, 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 their various sides of this this night trap that they're both playing a part of. Um, All of that, I think, is exceptionally well done. And I think it's paced beautifully. Mm. Um. Both, both in art and in storytelling, I, I think it's really well done. It's just this final page, this stupid like for some reason Batman's gone full of, and it does open with him at his you know parents' graves and he's you know monologuing to himself about their deaths and whatnot and what it's he's a doing. Gorgeous opening page, that double page, and you know it's the cape, the cape just flowing across both pages. Yeah, it's, uh, it just feels a bit too far gone, this last panel. But, I mean, I, obviously Leslie is there kind of, like, being his conscious, and I'm hoping that, you know, next issue or whatever, there's going to be more of that. There's going to be more of her sort of, like, making sure to guide them back to the, the light. Yeah, I think, like, while I fundamentally agree with everything you say, oh, it's really well-paced, what they're doing, 
because I didn't buy in on Batman thinking that this was the way to do it, you know, like, oh, this is the only way to take down the Reaper. I never, because I never bought into that. Uh, I kind of had a hard time really getting into the issue. I think, um, I think for me, it's okay because, or, or at least I, 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 it didn't bother me because this is early Batman, and if this is the whole point of this is that he's being naive or he's he's letting his weird emotions about Joe Chill kind of color what he's doing right now. He's not thinking straight. Like I think it's very. I mean, I think we can all say, look at this story and say he's not thinking with a clear, determined mind that he usually thinks with. This is right. This and is a clouded Batman. I think weirdly, if it almost ignored it, I could probably I could probably just write it off as oh, it's young Batman is doing that. But because they have like Leslie bring it up and address it to him, it's like, what are you doing? And he's just like, this is what I has to do, uh, you know. And it it doesn't it doesn't go far enough with its explanation. Once it decided it was going to go into doing an explanation, that that was kind of where it lost me. I think that's the point, though, is that his explanation isn't enough. Uh, it's not enough for her. So it's not enough for us either, because she isn't convinced by it. Uh, no, I know, I know she's not. And uh, and I get where you're coming from with that, but unfortunately, that's not enough for me to buy in on the rest of the issue either. Uh, I, I mean, like I say, I really like the issue. Just that last panel, the, the super like I'm going to murder Joe Chill after I murder the Reaper. <laughs> um, yeah, not feeling that. Obviously, I'm fairly certain we're going to get out at the end of this story without him doing so. So we'll see how how they reach that point. But and unless that's really the real reason people absolutely hate. This oh story. yeah, if this ends with him actually killing Joe Chill, then in which case, yeah, okay, fine. It's it's a terrible arc for for all the good craft that's been into it for the most part. It'll be a terrible arc, and we'll never want to talk about it again. If that's how it ends, yeah, there's no, no doubt about that. Uh, I don't even have to think about that. Even if they do the thing where they're like, he'll let Reaper kill Joe Chill and then stop the Reaper, that would probably be just as bad. Yeah, because he's still making the choice. Uh, yeah, it's... if he just like fails to save him, even though he tries, that's fine. Yeah, yeah sure. If, yeah, but if, if he actively makes the choice uh, to, to let the Reaper have him. Then uh, yeah, well, that'll be just as big a problem. I think I like the idea that he's going to let him be killed, but then makes the right choice and changes his mind. But then when he goes to like stop it, it's it's too late. Like I think that could have some nice dramatic. There's, dr- there's dramatic yeah. potential in that. Yeah. So I mean, there's definitely things you could do with it that I think work for Batman, especially an early Batman who's still, you know, like I, I do like the idea that the reason why he's so staunch on all of his rules and most of Batman from later on in the career when he has all the Robins, when he has all the family, is because maybe he did go through something like this where he did toy with the idea. He did try to use a gun. and He made a few mistakes. Yeah. So I, I'm yeah. not against exploring those ideas. Uh, I, I get nervous, especially with new comics, whenever they, they say they're going to try this because I'm just like, ah, it's just going to be an excuse to have panels of this and panels of that. Like, not to bring up Zack Snyder, but like, yeah, as much as it's just a dream sequence in Batman v Superman, it still just kind of feels like he wanted to have a Batman a duster with a machine gun, like, killing people left and right. It's, it's because it was cool, not because he actually had anything to say about the character. I had forgotten that existed, and now I'm annoyed at you. <laughs> because I also... Th- there was no point to it. There was no purpose to that s- sequence whatsoever. Oh? <laughs> and, and now I'm annoyed that I have to think about that. Hmm. If only there was a... More Zack Snyder material coming out that you could enjoy from the the, the Oh, oh you, you want me to have more material in my head that could annoy me? 
I mean, I bet you do. You Always. would love that. In Always. My head. Yeah, but, Always. But I don't love that. <laughs> I, I, want, I want enough TV or movie material in your head to annoy you that could fill a 24-hour network that's airing all do year round. you think round. it's not there already? <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. You know how many things annoy me. <laughs> okay, fine. An entire... The entirety of a satellite service, all right? Every channel, all thousand channels are filled <laughs> all year round. We're getting there. <laughs> uh, the, the, the odd repeat, but we're getting there. All right, what are you giving Detective Comics 577? Uh, I'm going to give it a, a 6.5, because I think the, the craft of it is still pretty damn good. Uh, I just Because I didn't quite buy in, uh, I, I didn't get the same attachment and, and connection that I feel like I should have done. Yeah, this is a tough one because I do think the craft is especially strong and I really like the atmosphere and how everything felt. So I'm going to go with the 7.5, but if if the last page didn't do something that was actively pissing me off, it would probably be at least a full point higher, if not maybe even patting the 9. So hmm. but 7.5 as it is because uh, of that last page. So there you go. Batman 411. This is Max Allen Collins writing with Dave Cockrum on the art. This is uh, the second part of this Two-Face uh, story with Jason. Obviously, we had the cliffhanger last issue that uh, Jason discovered on the back computer that Two-Face was, in fact, responsible for his father's death. Uh, I think probably the first thing I'd say about this issue that I think is kind of smart on his behalf is that it goes a while without Jason to let us think, oh, what, you know, after that cliffhanger, what, you know, what does Jason think of this? Uh, what's, what's he doing? Yeah, we go quite a while, you know, we get a bit of Two-Face doing his crime during the daytime, and he's doing that because he knows Batman doesn't come out in the daylight. Uh, so we have that, and, you know, Bruce is at some sort of hospital fundraiser thing. He's donated money, something. Usual stuff. Yeah. Um, But, you know, he hears about this, he goes to see Gordon as Batman, and there's a way a lot of this. I mean, oh, I mean it's only page six, but there's, there's a few scenes. There's a few scenes before it finally gets to, oh, where's, where's Jason? And Alfred's I mean, like, oh, he's... that's a quarter of the book gone. Yeah, uh, he's like, "Where's, where's Jason?" He's like, "Oh, he's still asleep." He's like, "He's, he's been sleeping all day." And you just see him lying there in the bed with this like angry face on him, uh, and he's just cold and distant and miserable. Uh, and Batman's like pointing out, "Why has he been such a little shit?" What's <laughs> wrong sure with him? Yeah, Alfred. Alfred's like, "What's, what's wrong with him?" And Bruce's like, "I don't know." He's pouting. He's just, he's just there going, ah, who cares? <laughs> I've never seen him like this. We'll get used to it, because we've been seeing him for 25 years. <laughs> Depressingly true. <laughs> so, there's some convoluted, like, uh, like fitting Two-Face's crimes into the number two here, where it's two pairs of the cards, so there's four crimes, and the second crime, second and the third crime are all to do with the number two, uh, one of which is really elaborate, where it doesn't sound like it was planned, but because the baseball game that uh, Bruce had tickets for him and Jason to go, but because they're doing Batman and Robin stuff, he gave the tickets to Alfred and Commissioner Gordon. <laughs> so they're at the baseball game uh, with the Gotham Mammoths and the Metropolis Twins. And I'm only pointing this out, these team names, because when we did a quiz during quarantine last year, one of the questions about sports teams, I remember Gotham Mammoths being one of the, uh, one of the answers. Yeah, you. I didn't. It's just, I just thought it was neat that it, oh, I encountered that. It popped up. It's real. Yeah. Uh, I can confirm that that is a real sports team. Uh, mm. as, the, as the Gotham baseball team, and then Metropolis is the, the twins. That's their... Anyway, so it's a, it's a double header. You know, the, the, the second inning is the, the, nothing but twos. It's just twos across the board. Yeah. 
Very convenient. Uh, so Two-Face shows up to, to rob the place. Uh, Baba and Robin jump out. We get some action, including Robin trying to kill Jason <laughs> with his bare hands. Robin Which... tried to kill Two-Face. Oh, sorry, yes. Robin tried to kill Two-Face. Sorry, sorry. There's a slip. It's a Freudian slip. Wishful thinking. Yeah. Uh, which leads to honestly leads to a fun chase. Uh, you know, Two Face runs into the the baseball stadium and onto the field. Batman chases him out there. Uh, so there's ducking and diving the baseball players. Baseball bats get involved, and there is one goofy element here that feels a little bit silly, which is Where the, does the slide across the base. Yeah, well, Two Face basically says, like, well, since I'm here, uh, this has been kind of a, a you know a boyhood dream. So he runs to second base. Not a home run. Most people have the dream. Most kids who love baseball dream of hitting a home run. <laughs> Two-Face, though. He wants to get a stand-up double. <laughs> I think he probably would have liked the whole thing, but he's like, yeah, Batman's here. Let's, well, I, I think technically the ladder from the helicopter that he's trying to run to is in that general direction. So he has been a little bit... like There is, and also second base. It's, it's Two-Face. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think... He's going out of his way a little bit to actually run the diamond, but at least the exit that he's going for is beyond that second base, as opposed to doing sure. a whole lap and then having to run <laughs> yeah. back up. No, I get it, but I, I do think that the reality is it's just, it's on brand for him to, to deal with yes. the number two. It's a, it's, a, it's a bit on the silly side. You know, it's this, it is. Uh, I, like, I do like there's the, the baseball player there with the hands on his hips just watching it. Like, what is going on here? He doesn't understand, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Jason, after they get home, finally kind of reveals why he's mad. Because uh, Batman's mad at him. Batman's like, hey, you blew it back there. You tried to kill Two-Face, and then he got away, and all, all that training down the toilet, and then, you know, we have to trust each other, and that sets Jason off, and Jason's like, nah, 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 trust us. You're what to talk. And then brings up all the all the, all the dad and murder stuff. Um, All the tears in his eyes for, uh, like, two or three panels. Yeah. Yeah, so, and if I, if I have a complaint about the issue, it's really just how quickly this is kind of resolved. Batman basically just gives them a little pep talk, and then that's kind of it. They go and deal with Two Face. That and on a craft level, uh, you know, we, you know, we obviously we just spoke about uh, Detective Comics where the storytelling was a pretty high quality in terms of the the art mm-hmm. and the craft of it. Whereas this here in this conversation, you know, you you literally have a point where it has to just point you in an arrow to the next panel so you know where to read. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy they did that rather than not, given what they had on the page. Yeah, I wouldn't have gone down there. Yeah. Um, not, with, not with where the speech bubble is in the corner out of the way. It doesn't catch your eye. You go across the top because of mm. uh, where those panels line up. Um, but I feel like maybe if, if they were aware they should have had an arrow like that, uh, they probably should have laid it out better in the first place. And I, I'm assuming this was editorial, going, this doesn't read well. We have to just slap this on after. Yeah, yeah. It's not a huge deal, because at least they did wreck. Because there's definitely some comics, modern comics, where we'll have a problem with the order of the panels, and there is no mm. like help added afterwards. It's just just go with yeah, it. Yeah, we, we've definitely spoken about that, and that is a problem for sure. Um, and, and this is better than, than not having it, but also it's distracting that it's there. That said, the art's not bad, though. I mean, it is a goofier issue, despite the fact that it's dealing with Jason Learn about two. I mean, this has been the goofier book of the two, uh, for you know, for the time being. Uh, all down to the fact where 
Two-Face goes back to their casino from last issue to try and rip it off because that's how it becomes a two because he's done the same one twice. I, it was, I, the logic's a bit convoluted. Uh, but it turns out they have a, a giant human-sized roulette wheel, the world's largest roulette wheel, which is where the end of the fight ends up taking place. And Jason proves that he's not a evil little shit anymore by saving Two-Face by grabbing him before the giant roulette ball. <laughs> I, I love that, you know, Two-Face runs onto it. Not that there's anywhere to go. Uh, this is his escape route. It's not, not ideal. Mm-hmm. And, and as Batman's chasing him, he's like, the guy, right, turn it on. And then he's like, ah, shit, didn't think about that giant ball. Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 that's not the whole point of a roulette wheel. It, it makes Batman look a bit of a stupid idiot, just so we can have this moment. I mean, that is a fun moment, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I did enjoy the sequence just in a, a pure silly spectacle kind of way. Uh, yeah. Also, nice little touch is that when Two-Face is jumping out of the roulette wheel, uh, you can see where his shadow's going, that he's actually going to be in uh, the number two. So, it's an obvious thing to do, but, you know. I, I'll appreciate it all the same. Yeah, uh, it is nice. So, yeah, the adjacent comes in. Uh, sorry, he doesn't grab Two-Face. He kicks the ball uh, out of the way. Yes. But uh, same difference. And Two-Face is left there feeling dizzy. He's arrested. And, well, that's us, chum. <laughs> We've done it. End of issue. Uh, so, uh, it's worth mentioning that we're still on the second chances trade after this, right? But this is, the, this is not the end of that trade, even though this was clearly the story that was named after. Yeah, uh, you know. I mean, they have to pick a name, though, right? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, just just making that that clear in case you're in case you're reading through the trades or you're curious about where the trades are. Um, so still quite a bit left in this trade, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just a case of as a, a batch of issues before the next Cape Crusader picks up, or maybe it's just more yeah. relevant. Maybe the Jason Todd like early stories continue for a couple of more two parters or something, and then it's back Possibly. to Cape Crusader book one. Um. It was an okay issue. Like, I mean, it's, it's decent fun enough. The art is, I think, fun and expressive. It, it's not up to the craft of obviously some other things. We mentioned the, the, the panel layout being a little confusing at one point, but it does have fun with the baseball stuff. It has fun with the giant roulette wheel. Yeah, it's perfectly fine. Um, there's not really a lot wrong with it. It's just not anything that particularly good either. Yeah, it's fine. It's, you know, it, it does what it's supposed to do, uh, there's definitely complaints, but it, I think it's what's funny though. A lot of the complaints that I think we make about this type of comic book is it is mostly an age thing, where it's just this is just kind of off the time. And clearly, it's kind of a conflicting thing because obviously other books at the same time were ahead of their time and were pushing the medium forward. This is just more ingrained in the classic Bronze Age style of storytelling. Yeah, I think we're at a really awkward point in comics history, or at least specifically with DC, where you know more or less within weeks of each other, we had you know. The, the last issue of Detective Comics from year two, and then this, and they feel like from different worlds. And, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago that you know this this book was doing year one, which feels like a full decade ahead of this at least. Oh, um, absolutely. And so yeah, it really does feel like it's it's really hit or miss right now <clears> as to how far it's pushing forward. This was two weeks after that Detective Comics we just talked about. Okay, that's that sounds about right. I know it was within a few weeks. Um, and it, it feels like such a monumental step backwards from that issue. But at the same time, like I say, you know, it was only a couple, you know, in real time a couple of months before this where this was year one and Detective Comics was doing these issues. That's, that's true. Uh, and that's how we felt when we were doing those issues. We, we felt that Detective was the goofy one and now they've, they've switched. Um, yeah. 
But I think I think there is a place for these silly old books, and I do, you know, I think at one point we probably will do some Bronze Age books, and we will do some stuff that is a more, bit more old school, and I think there's some charm to it, there's some fun to it. I think if that's all I was reading, I'd probably be bored, but having one book like this I think is actually quite good, uh, because it is an important part of, you know, comic books, that comic books did progress from this to maybe the more things we're typically used to now. It's It's interesting from a history perspective, and seeing where it came from, but I don't find them actually, for the most part, that enjoyable to read. There are exceptions, of course. Uh, but a lot of it I find interesting rather than enjoyable. Eh, well, we can have interesting reads there. It's fine. <laughs> mm, we'll see. Those are interesting reads. Uh, I'll look at Connor being the, the party pooper, as always. What, what a shock. I, I, I'm sorry. It was uh, you, know, you, you, you couldn't even finish you know, a, a nice little Wonder Woman run. Nice my ass. Uh so yeah. For if I were curious, this Batman issue did come out on the 9th of June, nineteen eighty seven. I don't know if it's maybe I should tell you the dates for these old Batman issues just for the fun of the the timeline. But I do have them all written down so I can tell you. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> uh so we're on June nineteen eighty seven with the uh, the post crisis Batman. Uh alright, what are you giving Batman four eleven? I I'm gonna give it a six. It's it's fine. Yeah, I'll be nicer than you. Ah, oh, seven. That's good. That's a good, good, good for you, but a good classic issue. Okay. Have you frozen, or are you just keeping it? No, I thought you were moving on. Sometimes it's hard to tell. You're so devoid of life. <laughs> no winning with you. Wonder Woman issue to George Perez uh, and Greg Potter. Uh, the roles being distributed between them. Otherwise, I don't why I have to explain it every time. Go back to issue one and we explain how the, uh, it's divvied up. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, obviously we, we were really into issue one of uh, this Wonder Woman run. And we're curious to see kind of the first proper issue with Diana. And we're still very much in origin story territory. And we, we kind of joked last issue about how there's no Steve Trevor landing on Themyscira. And I think we even said, oh, maybe I should still start with it. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, and it doesn't quite start with it, but it, it kind of is, is there. It's... I mean, it does start with Steve Trevor. It's the very first thing you see. It starts with Steve Trevor getting a call from a, a higher-ranking officer who wants to see him. Uh, Steve's kind of in a bad place because he's, he's, he's ruffled some feathers by being too noble <laughs> and not a bloodthirsty military man. Uh, yeah, they're really telling us, you, you, it's fine, you, you can like Steve. Yes. That's the point. Oh, that's it. He's about older than I think we typically think of him here, because he mentions that he was in Nam, but even in 1987, 86, whenever this issue came out, I think it was about 87. Uh, it was uh, 86. Late 86. 86. But even in late 86, if he was in Nam, then he's at least in his like, late 30s now. Yeah, I mean, the way he's drawn here, he looks... Late forties, early fifties, maybe he does. He looks he looks older, um. So, I think that's kind of interesting, uh, for for, for a start. Because I mean, not that Diana looks like a teenager in this, but she doesn't necessarily feel like she's been drawn to be late forties. Uh, she looks late twenties, early thirties, maybe. Yeah. Uh, the atmosphere here though is wonderful. You know, it's a rainy, stormy night. Uh, as he's driving up, and they have to go through security, and then he comes out to speak to this, uh, this this general, whoever it is. And he's given this mission, this mission to just, like, test 
fly a, a, a new jet. And it's not even that new, as, as Steve points out, but it all feels a bit fishy. And I was thinking, oh, you know, this guy's working for someone or he's secretly a part. And obviously it's very, it's not even, even right at the end of the scene, he looks through the blinds and he's like, aha, soon the god of war, you know, we'll, you know, we'll yes, take uh, care of you Tonight you shall do the, bid- the bidding of Ares. Yeah. So, so it's very clear. Okay, so he's working for Ares, or maybe he even is Ares in disguise. I mean, he's not, but at this point, I could have believed that. That's a uh, yeah. that's something that we know is yeah. possible. Ares yeah. from future. By the end of the issue, it's clear that that's not the case. But uh, yeah. yeah, there was definitely a possibility. Uh, so no, uh, I I think what was so great about this as well is that all this thunderstorm stuff was so different from anything in the first issue that it was mm. a nice uh, sort of okay, nice range. I, I, I love the way it uses that transition into Themyscira as well, like because we have the thunderstorm. You know, we we see you know Diana seeing it, and it's wonderfully rendered where the lightning splits across into multiple different panels. The way it, like you know it arcs through them, it's really interesting. No, it's really good. Um, and you know, the, the gods are uh, making her lasso because uh, she didn't have that last issue. This is something that she just gets here. Uh, yep. and it's just as kind of just doing it. Out of, uh, he's like, he doesn't care about that. <laughs> he's like, oh, this will piss off Ares, so I'm, I'm on board. But it's Hephaestus that's making it, right? Is it Hephaestus? Oh, sorry, it's Hephaestus. Uh, but he's like, oh, but he's not doing it because he he believes in the cause. He's not doing it like he's not like some of these other gods who are actually supportive of Diana and see her as the chosen one. He's doing it because oh, this will piss him off, and that's yeah, that's pretty it. much that's that's the only reason why he's doing this. Uh, so Hermes comes down and sort of. Takes takes her uh, to it. but actually even before that um with with the bow and arrow to to fire the thing down the, the lasso down I thought was a nice touch as well yeah he shoots it down and then just comes down anyway it's uh, like <laughs> bit dramatic mate although that is Hermes in a nutshell yeah that no, wasn't Hermes that shot it down no but uh, Hermes just showing up after oh sure like, yeah, yeah that, that, that's my bad I'm um, assuming that was Artemis that shot it down yeah that's, that's what I thought too yeah uh, uh but. Yeah, so 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 he comes down and it's like, hey, okay, this this, and as this is happening, we we cut to the the Steve Trevor stuff, but they're, they're flying through these stormy clouds and uh, they're getting lost, and it's like, wait, these these readings readings are all off. We we were this is saying we're in the same place we were like two hours ago. This doesn't make sense. As Diana's been shown the possible destruction that the Aries might bring, and that the time is coming, uh, and she's taken to uh, let me see what the name was here, just to uh, forget uh, Harmonia. Uh, Who's in solitude, uh, and basically she's just going to give her a way to find Ares, and she gets given this, uh, you know, talisman, this magic. Just let's just call it a MacGuffin. But it turns out it's half. Oh, it, yeah, it's half a MacGuffin though. There's a second half of it that she needs to get before it will actually reveal where Ares is. So Ares' location is, is played as a mystery, but this transitions then into uh, this plane, the jet, you know crashing from down from the sky uh the 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 amazon see it diana flies up to take it 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 drops a missile the 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 other the co-pilot is is there uh and is taken over by aries or is working for aries it it felt like more of a weird sort of possession moment to me uh with the way his face changes and all that yeah I, i get that feeling as well um or maybe it was like if it, if it wasn't like a direct possession and he was just, you know, touched by Ares before, yeah, like, yeah. like corrupted when he entered Themyscira's atmosphere almost. But the art of the, uh, like, so it's, it's like he's got like a, like, skull kind of evil dead-esque kind of face, but 
he's got like these his uh his helmet on and, and the goggles like behind the goggles it's just pure black but except the eyes and it's a really cool visual it's really creepy it's it's interesting because it's really evocative of the dc visual of Ares as well with the helmet just yeah. with the blackness um which i, I think so, i think it's intentional i think it's supposed oh, to connect it to him i do as well but it's a really neat connection um on top of just looking creepy as shit as as you know like this guy with like a a melted face uh, underneath that so he's dropped a missile diana doesn't really know what it is but senses enough danger from it that she you know uses a lasso and flings it in the other direction uh, and of course, they're all shocked. Uh, if, I, if I do have a, a minor complaint here, and I don't have a lot to complain about because I, I, this issue is fantastic. Uh, I do think this that stands up with the first one. Uh, I may even like it more because it does get to more kind of you know present day stuff with with uh, a bit more of a natural setting. But um, I do think the the page where she does lasso the missile and throws it away, uh, there's kind of a weird sequencing to this where yes. my my eyes went horizontal because that's just what it feels like it should be. But it's actually you may go vertical. I think it would be really easy to fix this as well. Um, I don't know exactly how because it has a middle insert strip. Yes. If you just put that strip as fully vertical, uh, you know, and and stretched it all the way up, I think it would be a a lot clearer because the panels in that are offset, mm-hmm. right? So the 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 ones on the outside are split into you know it's two panels uh, on each side. And the one in the middle split into three, so they're offset with the with the sides. If that had stretched all the way up to the top and bottom of the page in line with the other uh, panels, you'd still have this offset one in the middle, and you'd know to read you know down rather than across. Because when you try and read across, you're like, well, where does the middle one fit in? So the fact that it's just an insert makes you feel like you can go across with it, uh, and that's where the problem comes in, I think. Yeah, uh, but the explosion happens in the sky. Uh, as the plane lands in the water. It's a really neat touch, actually. There's a full big panel of the explosion in the sky, which is all it really is. But there's a little insert panel in the middle of the explosion in the water as the plane's hitting the water. Yeah. And it's really neat because it shows... It effectively gives you the impression they're happening simultaneously. Uh, And it gives you a a sense of scale as well of the size of how big this insert panel is compared to the blast Mm. overall. Um, It's really effective. But the Amazons have never seen anything like this, right? Because they, they have no idea how weaponry's advanced since they were last... They, they were amazed by a handgun last issue. Yeah, but, you know, they're part, part of the not a part of the world, so the idea of these explosives is, like, baffling to them. Uh, but one of the sea... Not gods, but... Uh, what is it? Let me just get the name here. Not Poseidon. Themis. The deity of seas. Uh, yeah. Basically, it tells... It, it, the... it is a god. That's a god, okay. I think one of the Amazons claims that it's not, but I guess it was just more of a shade thing than an actual fact. <laughs> yeah, it's... Greek mythology is interesting. I mean, technically it might not be a god, it might be more of a titan, but immortal being on the same scale as the others, yes. Just not as strong a position as Poseidon, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, but the, 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 this this Themis tells Diana to save Steve, that he's worth saving. Um, and of course, from their perspective, this this plane dropped a bomb, and he was on the plane. They they don't know the context that he was actually because we see him fighting the other pilot. He's trying to stop him from doing what he was doing. Um, but uh, and actually, as this is happening, we cut back to the uh the the general or whoever he was that gave him this these orders, and it's actually it's Etta who who we didn't even mention she was in the car with Steve earlier, uh, but she's with these others who come to check on see what see what's going on. And when they open the door to this guy's office, uh, 
you don't get a full sense of it, but you just see a lot of red and you see a skull and it's it's like it's like something just like ripped through the office and eviscerated him. It's like um the same thing that was happening to the other pilot, you know, where he melted. It's like the you know because we we saw the 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 yeah the the, the face melting. It's kind of like that had happened here, but it had got further, um, maybe because that's you know he's got no skin left on, uh, it's just bones. I actually didn't get the impression it was the same thing. You may be right. The reason why I didn't know is I got the impression the characters we get at the end of the issue did this, which wouldn't line uh, up with the pilot, which is why I, I never connected those two. Uh, but we'll get to that when we get to it. But um, so they care for Steve a little bit, uh, but he's he's kind of just out of it. Uh, <laughs> Is it Hera that shows up here? Or it's Athena, sorry. Athena shows up and she just casually says, this is the first time you've seen me in 3,000 years. <laughs> 3,000? <laughs> and yeah. points out that, you know, the, 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 the rest of the world stopped kind of believing in all these gods. It's, the Amazons single-handedly are kind of keeping the dream alive. <laughs> and the, the power we have is basically because of you lot. Uh, it's time for Diana to go on her mission. Uh, and you know, it's this kind of a sad moment, you know, Hippolyta's crying, Diana's crying, uh, and it's Hermes actually transports them off, uh, Diana's actually carrying Steve in her arms, uh, as yeah. they, as they fly I, off. I, I love that, that visual of them traveling through Hermes' kind of own space that he, that he has, because it's not just the sky. No. Uh, it's, it's like, as he, you know, he's using his staff to kind of cut through all the cloud. Um, it looks, it looks great. Yeah, uh, so you got all that, and then this is kind of the end of the book where uh, the, 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 the Etta and the other soldiers in the military are questioning what's going on, what could have possibly done this, and also where's Steve? Like, Steve is missing, That the planes went, is vanished, and they can't find him, and Etta's worried about Steve. And we get kind of the idea that, you know, some characters are watching them through a, a magical portal, and then the final page of the book, and this is a normal-sized issue, this one, this is 22 pages, it's not the, the 30 from last time, uh, and we get uh, you know, uh, Phobos and Demos are the ones watching, um, and they what they're they're going to come after Diana. Uh, they're doing Eros bidding, so uh, yeah, that's your cut fire. Uh, <laughs> and notably, this is because this is the first time we really get to see some proper villains in in the book. So, and they are very over the top in the design, you know. Uh, yeah. Yes. So you know, I mean, Demos is uh, you know, got the snake heads and all that coming out. He's got all the green. Uh, as well as very gobliny, I want to say. Like he's bigger, yeah. but he's kind of got that proportion. He's got, he's got, he's got the big sort of, uh, like not shoulder pads, but the the, the big kind of like shoulder dressing that's just got like a cape coming down from it. Uh, it's yeah. very, very, it's like gladiatorial, but he's got, he's really bulky and orky, but he does have big kind of like almost elf like ears. There's, there's, there's a lot going on. <laughs> A lot going on. Yeah, that's why I said goblin-y. I think. Yeah, uh, I feel like goblins often have those sorts of ears. Yeah, it's a good cliffhanger though. It was one of those things where I got to this page and I'm like, oh, that, I, this is. I'm pretty sure this is the last page. This feels like a nice little tease. Right, and um, I, I assume that you know these are the ones that uh, you know we know that they were in control of the the general and yeah. the the co-pilot, but we know also that the general. At least thought he was working for Ares. So are these actually working for Ares, and it's on his behalf, or you know, did they mislead him? Uh, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, for all I know, though, maybe he was working for Ares, and now they're just sort of being middlemen on Ares' behalf. It's, it's not that he yes. was. That, it's not that the general was ever tricked per se. It was just that 
they're the other ones that are doing all the middle management. Right, that's what I meant. I want to say, are they working for Ares as well? So, yeah. you know, this chain of command, essentially. My, my, my instinct was that they were, but, I mean... Yeah, I mean, they're, they're pretty minor gods. They probably would answer to Ares, uh, one of the, you know, one of the big ones. But also, you know, they're, they're, they're making a point of going, oh, our plan is, you know, our cause. And I wonder how much do they think they're doing it for themselves? Uh, I don't know. They feel like Bebop and Rocksteady to uh, Ares' Shredder. Yeah, that's true. That's, just what, that's the feeling I'm getting so far. Yeah. Bebop and Rocksteady. A good comparison. Great names. Bebop and Rocksteady. Great. Uh, yeah, I really like this issue. I, I think it was a solid introduction to Steve, because, you know, okay, we get the idea that he's good and he's noble and he, he will question people who are just like bloodthirsty and want to you know and it makes sense that this general you know he would want to work for Ares because he clearly believes in war and is very passionate about war so why wouldn't he worship the the god of war that just makes makes sense so uh all that stuff's good I think the atmosphere uh, and the art is great uh all the thunderstorm stuff and then uh, uh the, whole, the whole sequence of the, the i mean well the, the panel ordering in that one page notwithstanding the whole sequence of the the bomb and the plane landing it felt like it but it feels different again it feels different to every other version i've seen of this origin where i'm so used to steve waking up on the island and like discovering it a little bit and you know learning about it before they have to leave and uh so there's still yeah, differences to this, the, what i've seen from other sources it, it's clear that this got expanded upon later essentially yeah uh but no, I, I'm having fun discovering what this uh, this version of all these events were, uh, and I think it's done a good job. I think it's done a good job building. Uh, it feel, it feels like an ongoing story as opposed to just oh, we had to do an issue that was an origin, and now this like this, this despite the fact that the first issue did feel almost very standalone in the sense that it was dealing almost entirely pre Diana, this still feel like a natural follow up. Where no, this is still just chapter two, despite the fact that the first one was all mostly pre her. It's uh, still clearly part of the same story. Yeah. Uh, oh, very good. What are you giving Wonder Woman issue two? Uh, I'm gonna give it an eight point five. It probably would have been a nine, barring that one page where the flow kind of threw me. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I think I'll I'll probably concur with that and give it the eight point five as well. I think it was really solid. There you go. The Flash issue seventy four. Mark Wade writing with Greg Larock on the on the art. This is the first proper part of the Return of Barry Allen. Of course, we had the cliffhanger from last issue, the Christmas issue. Uh, and this is a New Year's issue, uh, just to follow up on that a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think my favourite thing about this is that Wally, well, he is convinced by the end, probably wrongly, because I assume Barry's going to turn out to be something. Uh, I do like that Wally, the entire issue, is like, I don't trust this. This is too good to be true. Why, why, why should we all just accept that Barry's back? This is fishy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, down to like the, the the title of the issue that you get on the the first page on this big splash is trust. Yeah, so you know, makes a lot of sense. Um, and you know, we get a little glimpse of the the psycho pirate and all that stuff from the flashbacks at the start. But um, and there's a little bit of tension as Wally's trying to like, oh, how do I, how do I tell him that I have taken his name? How do I tell him that I have taken the mantle of the Flash? And it kind of just happens. Yeah, he basically just suits up without thinking about it, and uh, it's like, oh shit, okay, well I guess that's out in the open now, uh, I am now the Flash. Deal with it, Barry. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Barry talks about how he kind of had amnesia at first, but then he saw the the statue at the museum, uh, and it kind Stuff of brought... came back to him. Yeah, although not everything, he's still a bit fuzzy in the the ending and kind of yeah. you know why he's back. But uh, Hal's there to corroborate that he's telling the truth with the ring, uh, which it does. He, he would know almost better than anyone. Yeah. Uh, so he's like, "Hey, everyone, calm down." It seems to be him, but he he's asked not to tell the Justice League yet. Uh, let let Barry kind of get settled in and everyone get to grips with this but there's some fun stuff it pokes at the differences since his time where pied piper who's now not a villain shows up to give wally some intel that something's going on and barry like speeds over and tries to like pin him to the ground and wally's like no <laughs> barry stop it he's fine like he's a good guy and now piper's like wally what's going on yeah and, and barry's like he knows your identity yeah it's good stuff actually i do think the uh the art see when wally sits up Barry's got this like smile on his face, looking at him. That I, uh... I no, I like the art, but I think there's a weird problem with what it's telling me in the narration because the narration saying, "Oh, he's, he's weirded out." That's much, that's written all over his face, and I'm like, he doesn't look weirded out. It could be an awkward smile, I guess. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, the art on its own, I like. Uh, you can, yeah, see... no, I, I agree. I think it looks almost like a proud smile, though, which. Probably should have come on the next page, given what what the story is. Hmm. Um, but just with that that specific narration box right there, it, it it didn't sit right with me in that particular panel. Oh well, but we get this uh this little plot where they have to help this uh this gangster essentially, who is targeted for assassination. There's a new gangster in town who wants to take out the old mob boss and. The the current mob boss always buys out the entire like uh, amusement park and uh, in, in, in Central City or Keystone City even uh, every year on New Year's. So it becomes this like having to essentially look for these three snipers in the amusement park. Uh, and I think at least some fun sequences where they, they encounter the mob boss at first, but then they're running around and they find one up in the roller coaster and they find another one uh, in the I don't know what you call that raid. It's like no, a, I don't know the name for it either. We've all seen it. It's, it's just think carousel, but instead of it being a carousel, it's more of like a spider legs that just spin around. Yeah, it's like carousel meets a Ferris wheel. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, and we've all seen this thing. I just don't think it's got a name. Or if it does... I mean, it, it probably does have a name, just no one knows it. <laughs> except carnies. Except carnies. Uh... And then the, the, the last one's in the, the House of Mirrors, which, I mean, they call it a mirror maze, but, you know. Same thing. Same thing. And those the assassins, like, right behind one of the mirrors, and it's a fun, it's a fun little sequence. I, I mean, I had a lot of fun with all, all this middle stuff. It was just, like, a, a nice, uh, you know, sequence of panels. It was all... Just solid kind of, action. Solid action. They, them trying to figure out where they're coming from and sort of problem-solve things out. Uh, it was an example to show off the differences between them and all the rest yeah, of and it. Yeah, credit to the art that there's always just enough difference between their suits that it's clear who's who at a glance. Yeah, well, this but, is a bit darker. Obviously, the, the belts get more of a the the pointed it's, center. It's also got more of like a, a sheen to it in the colors. Mm. Uh, like it's like a different material. Uh, I think it's, it's really effective. It's like a little, it's, it's like almost reflective looking. I would say it looks more velvety. Okay. That'd be how I'd describe it. 
Fair enough. But either way, the point is it's clearly textured differently to Barry's. Yes. Uh, but then Barry at the end goes to Iris's grave, finally, uh, and sort of cries there and says how much he misses her. There's the fireworks of New Year's are going off in the background. And that's when Wally steps out and says that he finally trusts him. Because all issue, he's like, ah, something's not right. Like, this is too good to be true. And he's sort of questioning everything Barry's doing, he's thinking about and he's questioning. It's like, it's, that's what the narration really is. That's what a lot of the, the actual reading of the, the issue is. But then when you get to the end, he's like, no, now I trust you. Because I, because he overhears him say everything to Iris. Iris is grave. And he's like, okay, I believe you're Barry now. Um, and they have a bit of a heart-to-heart about why he waited so long to talk to her. And it's like, well, because that's... Exce- that's, that's me accepting that this new year is now a new life without her. Now, now it's just, I have to go on now and be someone. And then it's like, ah, there's stuff to go do uh, as the Flash. So they put their masks back on and they speed off with the fireworks behind them. It's a very happy issue, uh, which totally doesn't mean that things are all going to get really bad uh, in the next few. What's interesting is it's a really happy ending, but it's not a happy issue. True. Um... Which I think is a little bit different because it's maybe just enough that it goes through the motions of no, this isn't right, and ma- and then so by the end where it's like okay, no, things are okay, it maybe lulls you into a false sense of security rather than that traditional you know storytelling trope of okay, well everything's really happy so now it's going to come crashing down because we had the rough patch and then we got the good bit at the end, it, it functions differently I think. Um, so even though we know it's all going to go badly wrong, um, I do think the the actual structure of the way it tells its story is actively trying to subvert that. Well, that's basically what I meant. Sure. Well, I mean, when I say it's a happy story, I didn't necessarily mean it was happy every page of the book. I just meant it ends in this really happy note where they've, they've learned a lesson and they're, they're running off together and it's... It's this cheery thing where... I, I get where you're coming from, but I think usually when you talk about that in stories, it's the happy moment at the start. Like, oh, it's too happy right now. And that would be immediately after he returns where everyone else is happy. That's when you go, okay, this has to go crashing wrong. I think because we have the questioning of that, it's actively trying to subvert that feeling that you're, that you're describing. I would say there's a version. I think there's merit in what you're saying about what it's doing from a story perspective. I think you actively have to phrase it like something that's counteracting something I'm saying for no reason, and I don't know why. I'm right. You're not. I mean, you're not wrong. But the, the point I'm making, go. the point I'm making though, <laughs> is that the distinction is not really that important. <laughs> I, I don't think the mechanic I was talking about where things are so happy, it means they're going to go crashing wrong. It doesn't really matter if that's at the start of the story or if it's the end of the story. It doesn't matter if it's the start of the next issue. It, the point is, is that in storytelling, especially in a serialized story, that once things get too happy, it means something bad's about to happen to someone. That's fair. Right? That, that was the sim- simple part of it. What I will agree with, and what I do think is a good idea on this story, is that it didn't make Wally look an idiot because he didn't just buy it at face value right away. Uh, and two, because it it proposed all these ideas when it does start teasing things, it... Because you know, a, a lot of modern stories, when they start showing a character act out of character, and it's like, oh, well, we have to assume that he's either mind-controlled or he's been taken over, he's a shapeshifter, whatever, so that we don't, we're not upset that they're writing a character incorrectly. And I think mm. here, having that all these questions happen first means that when Barry does do something that feels a bit off, we've already got all these things in our head. 
So we're immediately back to, okay, we, the story's kind of planted the seed for us not to trust it, even though it gave us the happy ending there. Those seeds are already in our mind. Uh, so. Yeah. And I, I appreciate as well, you know, as much as we like Wally here for not immediately trusting it, I don't think it paints anyone else in a bad light. Like, you know, Hal comes in and, by the, you know, by the time he flies off, he's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is Barrett. Um, but it's not like he just, you know, spoke to him for five minutes and went, yeah, we're good. You know, he had to, you know, sp spent some time with him, all the scans check out, you know, it, like, you know, it, it sounds like they did enough because I think you know, this hour for weeks past, right? Uh, you know, because it was Christmas before. So it is like, you know, they, they have spent time trying to figure this out. It's not like anyone's just leapt to this immediately. Would you like a round of applause for realizing that New Year's is a week after Christmas? No, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> I'm not sure it was you know, the last time, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah. No, it's a good issue. It's a good issue. Uh, and the arts uh, from Little Rock is typically solid. Uh, mostly has gets to have fun with the amusement park stuff more than anything else here. But uh, yeah. Uh, what are you giving the Flash 74? Uh, I'm going to give it an 8. I think the start and the end are really effective. Uh, I think the middle stuff in the, the amusement park, it's fine, solid action stuff, but it doesn't rise above uh, you know, uh, anything else. I will also give it a solid 8 out of 10. That's the Flash 74. Birds of Prey issue 8, Chuck Dixon writing with Greg Land on art. And this is uh, a Dick Babs issue. Uh, Canaries, there's a bit of a bookend. Uh, and a framing device, actually, because Dick is manning the uh, the Oracle station. And when Canary calls in and hears a man's voice, she's like, Who is this? What's going on? Where the hell's Oracle? And he's been very casual about the whole thing. And it just it sets up him up. Uh, and it's not like he's telling another story. He's just thinking about it. He's, he's, cause she asks, like, hey, are you Bab's friends? Or are you you're more than friends? And he's like... Well, you know, after the last time we were together, I'm not really that sure. And it just it leads to him thinking about what this night was that he's talking about, and that's what the issue is. That's what the story is, until we come back to the end. Uh, which was a date, uh, effectively, although they couldn't really agree if it was a date or not. Um, I will say there is a really weird bit of art from Greg Land uh, with Nightwing swinging through the city uh, when he jumps off the bridge. He's sort of singing with his legs up in the air just before he throws another uh, uh, hook. And... The body, like, shape and proportions. You, you, and... You're telling me Greg Landart can be weird. I'm shocked. It... No, I do know. It's it's the it... way he twists. It, it make, uh, and, but his abs still look straight on, even though his chest is twisting. Yes. It looks like he's got a really, really wide stomach, basically. Not a fat yeah. stomach, just a really, really wide one. Uh, yeah. So it's a bit odd, but hey, that's what it is. But, you know, so they have this date, they have dinner, he takes her to the circus, which he technically owns. <laughs> um, so... Cheap date. Yes, which she, she point, calls him out on, he's like, hey, I'm losing a losing an admission here, this, this is, you know... Circus yeah, old, old six dollars of it. I don't know how much a circus costs. And she gives him shit for it, but they're having fun. She even pokes fun at him when she's like, hey, I mean... I'm a little bit nervous if there's any clowns going to show up. And he's like, oh shit, why didn't I think of that? That may be an issue. And she's like, oh, relax, dick, I'm busting your balls, I'm over it. <laughs> Which is kind of part of the, the, the point of the issue, is that she wants to make it clear to him that 
like she has moved on it's not that she never thinks about revenge occasionally i mean when she first when it first happened to her yes she did think about revenge on the joker uh but she doesn't let it dominate her life uh in the way that like everyone else around her seems to still be always thinking about it and is always you know either thinking about revenge or thinking about the babs needs help uh so that's kind of where the heart of the issue is uh and there's also some cracks from her about how there's too much advertising everywhere uh belly burger gets a wouldn't be a DC comic without it. It's a little thing. Um, but you know, it, you know, it has this downbeat moment where they reminisce and it becomes this honest conversation where ultimately he says, look, is there anything you, you miss? Like, I know you're, you're strong and you're, 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 you're proud of who you are, but is there anything you genuinely miss from before the accident? Uh, and accident's not the right term, but you know what I mean. Uh, and she talks about, oh yeah, well, see when you're like grappling like, through the city, and there's that moment before the slack goes where you just feel like you're flying. Like, I, that I miss. And Dick's like, huh, I could do something about that. Uh, so he, you know, takes her up in the trapeze and, uh, you know, lets her swing uh, in the circus. Mm-hmm. Uh, even makes her do a little transition on her own. And uh, it's this moment where she's scared for a little bit, and you know, this is where the art and the issue is not bad, by any means. I think it does a decent enough job at doing all this. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. I think I can feel whichever model he used for Dick's face changing, depending on whether or not he's in costume or not. <laughs> he he looks like a, a very different person. That's uh, I think that's fair. Uh, and you know, it's this really nice thing where Dick says, hey, can, you know, can we do this again? This doesn't have to be a one-time thing. And Babs is like, basically, no. I, you know, I, uh, I, I don't want to, you know, she says this thing like, you know, do you want to know why I don't have any handles on my chairs because I don't like to be pushed? Uh, and it, it leaves it on this kind of cold note. And you kind of feel bad for Dick here because it does kind of feel like he's trying his best and he really wants to d- do this the right way. And uh, and that's what it comes back to, you know, Dick at the end. Uh, but it's got a fun little beat at the end here where uh, Dick refused to tell Black Canary who he was. And when he says he's got to go because Babs is coming back, she just says, bye, Nightwing. <laughs> like, she just knows. Uh, which, yeah. is, which is a nice little callback to, uh, like, four issues ago when Canary was trying to, like, give Babs a hard time by trying to ask her to set her up with Nightwing, uh, knowing mm. full well that, that Babs has a, a thing with him. Um, but, uh, yeah, it just ends with this thing where, you know, she's like, hey, thanks for uh, manning the station for a bit. I needed some sleep. And he's like, yeah, I'll, you know, end for you, Babs. And that's the end of the story. Uh, it's just a sweet tale about Babs and Dick and their relationship and uh, kind of the perpetuating the will they won't they of it, I suppose, which is fair, yeah. but it's sweet it's enough. A, it's a perfectly fine issue that I don't think belonged in this book. I think this probably should have been in the, the Nightwing book instead. Because I don't think this is... I, I don't feel like this justifies as a... If I'm buying a Birds of Prey title, I want, you know, I want a Birds of Prey story. I, I want... You know, I, I want Black Canary in there. And technically she's there at the start and the end, but I don't feel like I got a Birds of Prey issue don't here. I feel a, like I got a Nightwing issue. Don't be a dick. Look, this is equally an Oracle story as it is a Nightwing story. And there's no, nothing wrong. Is. And there's nothing wrong with a team book taking an issue and dedicating it to one of their characters. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. I feel like when your team is two people and you're still relatively early, this feels very much too one-sided for for my tastes, uh, especially as I say, you know, 
yes, it's it's also a, a, a Babs issue here. Um, and if there was a if there was a her, she had a solo book, I'd say it should go in there, but she doesn't. So it's fine. But there is a Nightwing book. It, it could go in there quite easily. Uh, so that that's that's where the frustration comes from for me. Where I'm like, well, this feels like it could have fit in the Nightwing ongoing book, and I could have had a Birds of Prey issue here. The amount of arbitrary weird rules you make up for yourself constantly is Use them. awe-inspiring. I don't make them up. They're just there. You just haven't discovered them yet. <laughs> Bunch of arbitrary nonsense. This is a fine issue that is at its heart is about Dick trying to figure out where Babs is coming from, which is why that's the heart of the issue and therefore is why it's more relevant to Babs's book, which in this case is Birds of Prey. Um, and so much of this book has been heavily leaned on Dinah because Dinah's the one out doing the action. Dinah's the one having the big moments where she either gets into a fight and has to like, figure a way out of it or she has to make a moral choice on her end. Uh, so get, saying, no, let's, let's do a story about Babs, I think is very important to this book. And I think it's perfectly fine. I, I don't mind having here. a story about Babs, but I think even you know all those uh, Black Canary stuff, they still rely on the back and forth, the relationship between the two of these characters. Whereas this here is Nightwing narrating the entire issue, barring you know a page at the start and end. It is literally a Nightwing issue. As much as Babs is a is a key character, it is entirely from Nightwing's point of view. It's it's a Nightwing issue, and that's what frustrates me. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he wrote this originally for Nightwing and, and for some whatever reason had to rework it into this book. Look, that is entirely possible that it happened. But at the same time, talk about arbitrary things. Plenty of issues of someone's book is narrated by someone who's not the main character. That is not that uncommon. No, yes. but you... Don't, don't get me wrong. Batman will narrate most issues of Batman. However, I said narrate. Narrate most issues of Batman. But once in a while, there'll be a reason why, say, Alfred might narrate an issue or there'll be a reason why... The villain might narrate an issue, or maybe, and that's reason... fine because Alfred doesn't have his own book to narrate oh my this God. issue. In. Arbitrary nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, but it annoyed the hell out of me because I wanted a Birds of Prey issue and I didn't get one. <sighs> why are you just happy it was good? Why? Why? Why does it have to? I mean, I didn't love the issue either way. That was fine. Um, if, if it had been spectacular, maybe I'd have overlooked it, but mm. it was like, it was a fine issue. And I'm like, it was a fine issue, but I would have rather have read a Birds of Prey issue. And that, that's why it bugged me. Cause I'm like, I feel like I wasted an issue. This run is like 70 issues long. Like it, That's irrelevant when I'm eight issues in. Yeah, but this isn't like you're reading a new book and you don't know how long it's going to last. This is a book where you know how long the run is. You can look that's at it and say... That's not the point. It's not like he knew when he was writing this that, oh, it's fine. I'll... I'll I've got 70 issues. I, I can waste one here. <laughs> what does it make if he knew at the time? That's irrelevant now. It's not irrelevant. Context is important. Oh. Let's move on before I get annoyed at you. What, what are you rating this? Oh, he's, he's unplugged himself. He's, now he's, it he's, came out, not intentionally. He's, he's sitting there like a tet as I'm waiting for him to rate this book. Well, it wasn't intentional. Uh, it, it's a six. I'm going to give this an 8. I feel like you just bumped that up like at least half a point because of what I said. I know, I, I enjoyed the book quite a bit. I, I, it helps that I'm invested in the Dick Babs uh, side of things, but I actually Which... think the scene of her, uh, you know, flying through the air on, on you know, in, in the circus, I think that stuff's really good and really sweet. 
Um, no, it's fair to point out that I'm, I'm not really as into the dick bab stuff in general. Yeah. Uh, uh, so maybe that, you know, it's not against it, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't give me that predisposition towards it. There's plenty of other people at Starfire can be with this fine. GSA issue 17, Jeff Johns and David Goyer writing with Steven Sadowski on the art. Uh, this is the second part of the uh, the Injustice uh, Society. Injustice be done. Their, 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 their attack on everyone. Uh, obviously, we were bouncing around all the characters last issue. Um, and here, there's kind of a sort of, you know, I don't want to say a recap per se, but it more just sort of like, okay, here's where everyone is right now. Um, and my only complaint about that, I actually think it's great that they've done this at the start of this issue because there was so many different threads going on last time. Uh, is that I don't necessarily, I'm not a big fan of the uh, the TV sort of screens format they're doing it with, where I'm like, why couldn't this just be like five regular panels with proper art in them, as opposed to, you know? Yeah, I think the point is supposed to be this is like surveillance footage almost. It yeah. is the effect it's supposed to have, but I, I agree, it's a little jarring. I, mean, I, I think you can do that by making it more subtle, but it's these little boxes and they've got scan lines, there's no color in them. Um, yeah, and I don't think it helps that that's a page full of the uh the thinkers text uh boxes which are a bit more obnoxious yeah they're a bit more too blocky the strong green background is yeah it's a bit much in the eyes uh i appreciate what it's doing in theory though um so here's something that i kind of loved i loved that there's a reference in a second uh as a shivan star girl of fighting uh, she's technically still the star spangled star spangled kid uh i do acknowledge that but i'm still just gonna call it star girl because it's quicker and easier um, but there's a reference actually to uh, Stars and Stripe, which I have not read, but because that was basically the, the premise of the season one of the TV show, I actually got a couple of weird little references here that I probably didn't the first time I read this, which I thought was really neat. <laughs> uh, are, you, are you thinking just stuff like Shiv saying, oh, no robots to help you now? No, she actually says, oh, I'm going to go back to Blue Valley and like you know take Stripe apart my bare hands. And you killed my oh, father right. and stuff like oh, that. Right. The, the more explicit stuff as yeah. well. Okay, sure. Like, yeah, really, really uh, specific references to, to their history, uh, which mm. I thought was really neat. So, yeah, they're they're fighting there. Um, Doctor Midnight is able to uh, deal with Vertigo. Um, but basically just, was it a lot of loud, noisy plays a frequency? Uh, to... Yeah, pretty much. He establishes, okay, if, he's, if he suffers from this, uh, you know, it's either hereditary or an injury. And they're like, okay, if it's hereditary, it's probably this, which means he's probably got ear implants to help him hear. And yeah. it's like, well, we can just, you know, crank that up over item. Yeah. Which actually, and it does make a lot of sense. The reason why Vertical's so effective at using his powers is because they don't affect him. Why don't they affect him? Why, you know, why wouldn't you feel Vertical? It's always because your, your ear balance, your inner ear balance is off. <laughs> doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, uh, and of course, Jay's still chasing Rival around. Uh, and his helmet gets sliced in half. Yeah. Yeah, uh, by like one punch. Yeah, uh, and it, you know that that scene ends in a really dastardly cliffhanger where it looks like Rivals got to Joan, and she's like, "Oh no!" And she's she's she's, you know, she's trying to uh, trim her flowers or whatever she's doing. They're about gardening. Yeah. Oh, oh, old lady gardening. Uh, you, you know, it really is, isn't it? Just, just if I say an old lady's working on her garden, you immediately just get this visual of her an old woman in a hat uh, with some. Uh, Clippers. The, gar the gardening gloves as well. Yes, the gloves, yes, yes, yes. Uh, actually, my favourite fight, though, may actually be uh, Sand and Geomancer, because Sand starts taking them through the earth. Like, he grabs them in the shower, shower, uh, shower? The sewer, that's what I'm trying to say. 
he grabs him in the sewer and he just sort of uses his powers to take him through the ground and then they come flying out the ground. It's a, it's a great two-page layout. Um, mm. And I love that. I love how... Th- I, I love the issue where they introduced like, Sans' powers properly and what he can do with them now about travelling through the air. Uh, but I really I really dug, dug it being used here in a fight like this where it does disorientate him because, you know, no one's prepared to be dragged through Earth. <laughs> yeah, it's completely alien, yeah. even to someone with Earth powers. Yeah. Uh, Perhaps more interesting in that, though, from a, a narrative point of view, is that Black Adam takes Wildcat almost out of atmosphere, like just just on the cusp of it, where he can still breathe, but only just. If he goes any higher, you can't breathe. Uh, Stay here, you'll probably you'll freeze in yeah. not that long. So he's like, "Hey, so I, I'm only doing this because you know, because as we know, Black Adam's like host as a tumor, uh, and Johnny Sorrow agreed to deal with that and fix it. Uh, and he's like, "So what are you going to offer me, uh, to?" you know, to, to help you. And that's kind of the cliffhanger we end up with them there. Uh, which, and again, knowing that Black Adam becomes more of a, a, a feature in GSA, uh, this, this type of interaction, it, you know, it's like, oh, there's a little tease. Like, Set, send the seeds for yeah. him being a very complex character. And it definitely sets up the idea that he's not as evil as these other characters, or at least not in the sense that he's here to just kill everyone. And Like, he's open to talking. He's, he's, he's not necessarily loyal to Sorrow. Hmm. Yeah. That's... Yeah. Uh, he's like, look, I, I, I pledge my, my, you know, servitude to sorrow, and you know, in exchange of him saving me, what are you going to offer me for letting you keep your life? Uh, yeah, it's, so. just, it's all this power dynamic with him. Yeah, and then from there, you know, uh, hot girls fighting uh, tigers. We have more of the Shiv and the Star Girl fight. This is where maybe where some of the references I mentioned earlier are actually most of them are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um. Hot girl has a moment where she where she almost gets killed, where she actually remembers some of her past lives. There's like a a weird flashback kind of like seizure she has. <laughs> I like the visual of it because it's all kind of like you know it, it's all kind of grayed out and it's just behind her. It's all muted, and mm-hmm. it's just you know it's on a clearly uh, a separate plane in the art, like on a physical level, like the the digital layering of it. You can feel it on a different uh, on a different layer, which is usually a bad thing, but in this instance here, it gives it this you know distance from reality that, that that really makes it work yeah uh but that's kind of unlocks uh almost a lightning bolt style power coming from her uh which knocks the tigress back uh and she doesn't really understand it uh i'll tell you what this issue really does though is that it sets up uh star girl quite heavily because in the fight with shiv she kind of masters some of her powers a bit better with the belt uh mm. and seems to like fire a blast at her and then later on just shows up with uh icicle and uh, Black Bear Thorn just kind of like knocked out, so she's dealt with them. And I'm like, hey, they, they just kind of made Star Girl one of the toughest members of the team. <laughs> like, yeah, and and she got the thinker offline. Yeah, so she's like the, the MVP of the issue. She took out three of the physical threats and the the digital one that even Terrific was trying to fight. So and she's just like, yeah, I got it. So don't worry about it. Yeah, so uh, excited to see that expand. But this is where they actually start to communicate with each other, where San comes to see Midnight and Canary, um, and they start to put things together. And they they, they realize, oh wait, because the last page of the last issue was nothing to do with any of this fighting. The last page of the last issue was was the King of Tears. It was uh, Joy of Sorrow going to unlock that, mm-hmm. and they've figured this out. At the end of the issue, they go to uh, the, the ex Scarab's house. And they open the door, and there's like a you know it's this weird portal into this world, uh, the dimensional gateway, 
uh, that Scarab used to use, which still clearly exists, uh, called the Subtle Realms. Or sorry, Doorway to the Subtle Realms, if I should say. Yeah. Um. So they go into it, and he's basically in like Alien when they're cocooned up against the wall. There's just, just this massive like things around him. Uh, that's basically what's around him. And Doctor Midnight, not really knowing anything about Johnny Sorrow, runs in, and Johnny Sorrow takes off his mask. Uh, Sand yells, don't look at him, and he grabs Canary, and they make a point of not looking at him. Uh, and it seemingly ends with, and they actually pronounce Midnight is dead. And Sorrow's like, oh, you soon you'll follow, and that's our big cliffhanger. Now, the start of this arc, last issue, started with a discussion about Midnight being blind. I have to imagine that that's going to be very important Convenient. For, for how he's going to survive this. <laughs> yeah, I, I was almost surprised this affected him at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, he, he sees on certain spectrums, so maybe he still gets part of the... It's true, yeah. Yeah, he's got to always let him see something. Um, but he doesn't get the full effect that everyone else does. Because I, I think that's what's so genius, is that last issue it was kind of a joke where they were getting changed, and it showed us what he saw of, of Black Canary. Uh, it played it as this little joke thing where he caught a peak of Black Canary getting changed. Um, but it's actually quite smart storytelling, and that it kind of sets up that, no, he does see something. He's, he's not completely he, gone. He does he see oh, well he has to be seeing something to be doing all this super heroics obviously of but course. it shows us that okay no he sees outlines and silhouettes but he doesn't see details so maybe that's enough to to save him in this particular circumstance yeah. so it's a good cliffhanger uh it ties it back into what la- the last cliffhanger was uh i think all the action in this one is especially good um I think this this issue benefits a little. I think this issue and last issue are, are like there's things that are better in last issue compared to this one, but then there's things in this issue that I think are better than the last issue. And I think where this one kind of comes out on top a little bit because some of the plots get to just be very quick and shorter because there's not much to them. Like you know, Wildcat and Black Adam is just a page. They don't have to evenly divide the time up against the. It's like, it's like four different conflicts going on at the same time. So last mm-hmm. issue, it felt like it was darting around them very evenly, and that was a lot to like process. Here it felt like a couple of them were smaller, so the ones that needed to get the more time got the more time, and it, I think it flowed better as an issue overall because of that. That said, though, uh, same same with the the Jane Rival stuff. That was only a couple of pages in this one. Uh, that was some of my favorite stuff of the last issue, though. So I mean, there are things there's, there's take and give between them. I think what benefits in this issue is the action. The you know the, there aren't any rushed elements in that. You you actually feel it properly paced mm-hmm. throughout. I think it's missing some of the meat, though, because um, it is probably like 80, 89, 85% action. There's not a lot of real story progression. You have probably the, the moment with Black Adam and the moment with uh, Sorrow at the end. And you could, you could probably argue Stargirl as a character moment being you know, some yeah, progression. I, I, a... I, yeah, I don't think we should discount good character progression as, as equally no, no. important. That's, uh, which is kind of why I included the Black Adam one as well, really. Yeah. Um, so I think it's it's those three things, but a lot of it is just oh, it's some action, um, and it's it's good enjoyable action, but a lot of it doesn't have much to actually do in this issue. Yeah, but like I said though, a lot of that stuff, especially in the last issue with Midnight, set up for this ending to work and where it might go mm. next. Uh, you know, a, a lot of the, the beats that have been there, and I think yeah, even just the stuff with Hot Girl as well, because she had a moment as too. Uh, there's a lot of things that feel like they might be very important uh, in the coming issues. So I think I think as a chapter, as an ongoing arc, I think this is fantastic. As a single issue on its own, yeah, maybe it's like maybe it's it's entirely uh, a slave to the context of of where it is in the arc. But yeah, I think it's it's too much of hey, look, this is coming up, this is coming up, where and not enough actual 
meat to it in itself in this issue. But what's funny, even though we are obviously reviewing these issue by issue by issue, so we should mention those things. I do think that given that you're always going to be reading this more or less, you know, maybe not in a binge style, but you're definitely going to be reading it much quicker than it ever was originally. So, in the context of reading an arc or reading a trade, I think this there's absolutely nothing wrong with this issue. I think if you're reading just the reason, if you if you were reading this arc in one sitting, I don't think any of the problems that you have with this issue on its own, I don't think would even be there. Probably not. But it is a single issue ultimately at the end of the day. And that's kind of, even even if I'm reading it as a trade, I'm still reviewing it as a single issue. I'm still, I, I'm always aware of the, the context of when it's published. Even you know, th- things that we don't review when I'm just, you know, I, I have my own catalog. I, I still rate everything I read. When I'm reading a trade of something that is collected, that is, you know, completely unrelated to this, I still review each individual issue as an issue, uh, you know, on their own merits as a, as what it was published as originally. So, I mean, I'm at least consistent in that way. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a funny one. It's, it's, a, it's somewhat like TV in that after the fact, it's almost always experienced differently to the original time. Uh, yes. It's just the nature of the beast. Um, but I do think in the context that most people read it now, I actually think... The, the pacing of these two issues back to back is actually very good for a binge read. Um, so, take of that what you will. What are you rating at GSA 17? I'm going to give it a 7.5. Uh, I am happy to give this another straight 8 uh, for me. So. 8 out of 10. Justice League Power Rangers issue 3, Tom Taylor, writing with Stephen Byrne on the art. Uh, uh, once again, Connor told me uh, what the last page was because the trade doesn't have page or uh, issue breaks and, or covers. And I got to the end of this and was like, "Oh, he's never going to predict that no. as the, the ending moment." I I would never have guessed the last page of this was the last page if you hadn't told me. And there's moments, if, but... if anything, it would have been the page before. There's actually a moment several pages before that I thought was it felt more at the ending, and I was shocked that I was like, "Is he sure that I may still keep going?" And I got to the page because you just gave me like a sort of rough quote that someone said to like signify what the ending was. And when I got to it, I actually went to the next page after just to see. And even the next page didn't feel like the first page of an issue either. Like, I, I genuinely think the weird thing about this this series is that the middle of each issue feels like the end of an issue and the start of the next issue. And the actual starts and ends of issues don't. They feel like middles of issues. It's really weird. <laughs> it is. I w- I'm wondering which bit you thought earlier on, because there's a bit uh, right at the end, um, the page before the end, where it's kind of structured and, you know, it's... Uh, you know, their world depends on this. And it's, oh, we'll give it back when we're done. Promise. And that felt like that could have been the ending. Um, but, the, you know, it, there's still like one more page after that, which even starts with a later um, timestamp, which feels so weird to have a timestamp saying later on your final page. Yeah, so all these squids have shown up, the big, big monsters, and they call in the reserves. Uh, Beast Boy is shocked when, you know, Cyborg says to them, uh, We've got some allies. They're going to be operating big robot dinosaurs, <laughs> and he's like, "I wasn't expecting that." It's a fairy action, I think. Yeah, uh, it's Shazam, Green, Green Arrow, Black Canary, Aquaman, who are apparently all called in. Uh, but then uh, a Brainiac virus presumably completely dismantles the Watchtower. Uh, they, they, they can't do anything. Their transporters are down, so Batman reluctantly has to go in the Mastodon with Zack. Um, so Batman get in the Mastodon. Actually made me laugh. 
<laughs> uh, and we see, you know, we, we see others. We see Hot Girl and Jessica Cruz and Supergirl and and Batgirl uh, fighting one of the one of the squids. I think it's in Australia. Did, that did one. You, did, you, did you enjoy that she was in a Burnside outfit? I, I did not. No, I did not. Uh, but I did like seeing Supergirl back in the red skirt. So I mean, you know, you win some, you lose some. That's uh, true. Uh, on this, but. Yeah, so this is this is all fun stuff, and uh, you know they're working together. They're trying. They're asking like, the Power Rangers, like, is this, you know, are these from your reality? And like, no, they're not from ours. Uh, I mean, yeah, the the fact that they're big feels very Zed like, and the, the point it's out- like Zed, Zed always just turns things from Earth big. So like, yeah. uh, uh, do you have these on your Earth? Yeah, uh, not exactly. No, <laughs> not seen them before. So there's a couple of pages of action of everyone just hitting these things. Uh, it's all fine. Yeah, I, um, I really like the the layout of one of these pages. It's the one where it's split in three, and it's got like one line of dialogue shared between three characters. It goes down. I thought that was a you know, for an action page, uh, just had a really good flow with the the dialogue through it. The, the, the really well paced. Yeah, the big thing here though is that then we have Brainiac infecting the Zords, and uh, immediately, like, uh, who is it that puts out the call? Because uh, I think Kimberly's the one who gets attacked properly first. I mean, not, uh, we see we see someone attacking the T Rex first, but it's Kimberly we get to see the actual I, inside. I, get, I think it's uh, it's Wonder Woman because Flash is like, "Hey Diana, you great Herod." Yeah, but we get to see Kimberly like her watch gets taken, which is what gives her her powers. You know, it's the power watch uh, that they all have, the communicator, and uh, it's like, okay, everyone get the Power Rangers, evacuate them, and we get to see, and it was actually the full page spread of the pterodactyl with the Brainiac symbol on it that I thought, oh, this feels like a, a cliffhanger page. Mm, okay, I can see that. That's, That's only like halfway, right? Uh, admittedly, yeah, if you pay attention to the page count, it's maybe obviously not, but it felt cliffhanger pagey. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they grab the rest of them. You see the, the dragon zord with the, the symbol as well and various others. Um, and it becomes this thing where, okay, well, they've all left. Like, Brainiac and Zed have taken the, the zords and presumably went back to the Power Rangers Earth. And they have to somehow get back there, but how do we do that? And they mentioned, can anyone here, you know, go through realities and go to other Earths? And Barry's like, well, I can kind of do it, but it's usually by accident, and I probably can't take anyone with me. Things don't go well. Yeah. It's not a good idea. Uh, So they basically start brainstorming, and Billy's like, hey, does your world have a Hadron Collider? Is that that a thing? And Superman, it's worth mentioning, Superman gives them all a pep talk about how they're the best of the best uh, to sort of get this It's a classic Superman speech, isn't it? Yeah. And they go to the the Hadron Collider in Switzerland. And probably my favorite thing in this whole issue is when they say, "Oh, you know, they're just going to let us use it." Like, and they're basically shocked that the Justice League can just ask to borrow the Hadron Collider. That that's that's probably my favorite I, moment I in this it, whole issue. Um, it's it's pretty good. Can, you guys can just ask for something like this, and it's just Batman looking sad, going, "I can't." <laughs> Uh, and Superman comes in, and the, the science is like, "Oh, hey, we're big fans, Superman. You're the best." And just, you just saved us like yesterday. Thanks. Yeah, and that's when Flash has that line: "Was like, hey, we'll give it back when, when we were done. Promise." And yeah, there's one more page uh, where there's basically setting things up, and Superman says, "Yeah, we're going to punch a hole through space," uh, and that's the end of the issue. So yeah. I mean, if I'm going to critique anything about this series, it's that the end of the issues do not feel at like the end of issues. The middle of the issues feel at like the end of issues, and the end of the issues just feel like another page. Yeah, they feel very constrained by the 20-page format. It's very odd. It almost, do you know what it feels like? It feels like this should have been a five-issue book, and the first issue should have been like the first issue and a half, and then from that point on, 
half to half for the other four. Yeah, that probably would have worked. Or maybe the last one had to be one and a half as well to make that work. However, you know what I mean? Like it, it almost feels like it was written straight for a graphic novel, and then the decision was changed that they wanted to split it up into into monthly singles. Like that's that's like almost what the feeling is, where I'm like, it, it feels so arbitrary. Just oh, right, well, we'll cut here because that's where the where the page limit it, is. It's so weird because Tom Taylor is legitimately one of our favorite current working writers, and he clearly knows what he's doing when he's pacing out a comic book. He knows how to do it. So I don't think like if this is just like he made a he done goofed this once, then fair, but it's kind of yeah. weird. No, it really is. And it's not like this was, oh, this is the start of his career. He didn't know better. It, it, it was still, you know, he, he was pretty established by this point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he'd already um, done all the you Wolverine at this point. Uh, yeah, that, that's what I mean. I'm like, if it was before that, I'd be like, well, maybe he was too ingrained in doing the, the digital series for DC and he was still thinking mm. in 10-page chunks, but that's not it. Maybe it was originally like a digital series. Maybe that's the change that the hand. Maybe, but that still doesn't explain why, though, because then you'd only have a cliffhanger every other issue. Yeah, I suppose. Still, though, it's a bit weird. Uh, it's, it's enjoyable, though. It's why it's one of those mm. things where maybe that's why the trade doesn't have the uh, the issue breaks because they don't want anyone to know. Just read it in one chunk. It's really enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. Just don't don't let it feel weird. Yeah, because uh, that's the thing. It is really enjoyable, and uh, it, it would be really easy to keep reading if I didn't know this was the last page of the issue. I, I would have totally assumed that I had to keep going for at least a few more until it gave me something climactic feeling. <laughs> yeah, you'd probably have got another like seven or eight pages. Yeah. Just just out of a assumption of what the next issue will probably feel paced like. But yeah, no, but I mean, obviously the big thing in this issue uh, is that they get to meet the Power Rangers as themselves, as teenagers. And they're, like, oh, they're just kids. Yeah, so I mean, again, it's, it's Taylor, issue by issue, doing other elements of what the crossover should give us, which is Okay, they get to find out what they're who they actually are. They're just teenagers, and they get to interact on that way. It's different, and it wouldn't surprise me if by the end of this book, and again, I've not read past this point before, so I don't know if this happens, but it wouldn't surprise me if they like the Justice League or the Power Rangers get to meet some of the Justice League, perhaps, uh, out of costume or something. Everyone but Batman. Everyone but Batman. He won't. He won't take his mask off. Yeah. Uh, uh, not that I expect. Ba Barry will whip that cowl off, no problem. Oh yeah, Bar Barry will whip that cowl off for anyone. Uh, but yeah, it's a fun time. It's a fun time. It's just doing this, this natural things. Uh, it's just a really awkward structure issue to issue is the only thing. Yeah. But again, it's one of those things where if you're if you're reading the trade, you probably will just sit and binge read this in like one sitting because it it flows so well and quickly that it won't even matter. So, uh, what are you rating? Just like Power Rangers issue three. Uh, I'm gonna give it a seven point five. I think it probably you know I'm knocking it down a bit for the pacing, feeling weird. Yeah, that's I, I'm gonna agree with seven point five. I think that's that's fair. And I, I do think it's probably my least favorite issue of the three so far, just purely because it it, it doesn't give me like the nice big exciting thing that's next. Whereas you know the last issue I was super excited by the idea that Zed was working with Bruniac. First issue I was super excited to see the Zords with the Justice League and. Right. Although yeah. interestingly, I think all the uh, the Brainiac drones taking over the Zords is one of my favorite moments out of the three issues at all. Oh sure, sure. So you know, it's it, there's still good stuff in there. Batgirl issue fourteen. Brian Q. Miller writing with Leaguer Bet on the art. Uh, this is the Batgirl Supergirl team up issue where Kara comes to visit Stephanie in Gotham, and 
Kara, or sorry, Stephanie's bored because it's a Friday night. There's no bat signal in the sky. Uh, Barbara's doing Birds of Prey stuff, and everything else is going on. So there's nothing for her to do. She's just she's playing Scrabble with her mother. Um, That's a depressing night for a for a college student. <laughs> and she, well, in fact, you know, we know she's not like a party animal. That's just not who she is. She she makes a couple of references to that. that that's fine, but. Scrabble with your mum is still like <laughs> pretty even for not party animal people, that's still pretty down there. So Steph and Kara hang out and she takes her to campus. There's a little tease at the start, of course, about what the issue's going to be, and we'll come back to that. Uh but they're with a black and white Dracula from an old Dracula movie. Now you know how I always say this, this book is like Batgirl as if Buffy was Batgirl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Joe, you know as soon as I saw that on like, I think it was on the cover even, yeah. I was like, God damn it, I'm, I'm not hearing the end of it this time. Well, the funny thing about it is that not only have you got the idea of vampires technically, and that they're kind of also staking the vampires, again, technically, because uh, it's not really a wooden stake, but it, the visuals are the same. They are staking vampires. Yeah. Oh. Uh, even the premise where, you know, some science project goes amok and like basically creates them out of a film in a theatre felt like a really sort of like a sea level Buffy episode plot. You know, I'm thinking of the episode where like Buffy and Riley have sex so much that they awaken spirits. There's something like oh, that. God, why would you remind me of all the shitty episodes? It, it feels like that type of premise, but this is this is this is more fun than that because I love this issue. I just want to be that clear. This is a no. It was, it was a great issue, but what is it with you today and <laughs> reminding me of shit things that are just going to annoy me? Because like, I mean, just Riley in general. Riley's a misunderstood hero. That's that's. The... I can't even say you that could way. not back. You I, couldn't back that up if you tried. I actually did a tier list of Buffy characters that you can find on the YouTube channel, Malefuss TV, um, and I'm pretty sure Riley might have been the only character in the F section. I'm sure there's others that belong in there with him. No, that's what the E section is for. But the F section is <laughs> just Riley. Um, but yeah, so uh, the character comes to visit and. Steph's like, yeah, let's go. And there's so much delightful dialogue and banter in this. Um, Kara's still relatively new to Earth uh, here. So she's kind of excited by a lot of things uh, to the point where she's joking about her, or not even joking, she's like, hey, we should go do, you know, college things. Let's go to a keg party, have pillow fights. And Steph's like, what college movies have you been watching exactly? She goes, all of them. Yeah. And I think that's actually a... um... A neat point because I think the pillow fight is referenced in the early, uh, is, yeah, you know, the, the the opening cold open where it's like, yeah, oh, the the pillow fight doesn't sound so bad now, and you're like, what is the context for this? Yeah, uh, and and it's like, this is where it comes up. And you're like, ah, okay. There's actually, a, and we get the you know the the, the college student character whose experiments going to lead to all the things because they go to watch this Dracula movie that's been converted to 3D, which is very of the time because this would have came out in 2010, which would have been the year. After Avatar came out, where like Clash of the Titans and some other movies were getting converted to 3D, this was yeah. very topical. <laughs> yeah, this was late 2010. This was exactly then. Yeah, uh, very very topical. There's actually some wonderful things here. I love that 24 Draculas are created because there's 24 frames per second in film. And I'm like Brian Q. Miller, you beautiful bastard. You know your stuff. I love you. I love it. Yeah, he knows and, the basics. And not only that, we get such a specific reference to Star Trek in this issue. That I couldn't believe. I, I reread it and went, wait a minute. That is so specific. Uh, where Steph meant, she compares basically the, the Draculas to something that stepped out of the hologram, but she specifically. Holodeck. The holodeck, sorry, yeah. But she specifically uh, 
says, uh, you know, what what other version of Evil Moriarty or Lincoln stepped out of the holodeck? And I'm like, wait a minute, th- those are actual episodes of Next Gen. Like, she's actually comparing to actual holodeck episodes of the show. Yeah. And I thought, well, obviously, when I read this the first time, I hadn't, I hadn't even watched a single episode of Star Trek yet, so I was like, damn, that's just a specific cool reference that, again, it's just Miller being it's, a nerd. It's, like, it's not like it's a super deep cut, it's Star Trek Next Generation. It's not like it was a, you know, a, a tiny little cult thing. Well, no, but it, it, I think it's a relatively deep cut in that I, I don't think this is something where if you're not if you've not watched Next Gen, you'll get this reference. I mean, you oh, may sure. get it, you may get a hollow deck, but the, the specifics of Moriarty and Evil Linking. No, no I I agree. Um, like like I think in principle the the core overview of it. Oh yeah, body into you know running you know. Some, something that escaped from the holodeck. That's an, you know, even with just passing knowledge, you get that much. I think the specifics, are obviously being specific episodes, are it's it's cool enough. But again, I don't think it's like a particularly deep cut that it's like, you know, I think a lot of people would have got this. Sure, whatever. Why? Why are you fighting me on this? Why are you being weird? What? It just didn't I, feel I, like that weird. It didn't feel I like enjoyed the reference, so you had to explain for a minute why it's not even that cool a reference. What? What? Shut I, up! I feel like that. There's a weird, like you being like, oh, yo, you know, being excited by all the the, the twenty four friends. I'm like, this is like, it's not like particularly deep stuff. It's like it's basic stuff still. I'm like, oh, it's it's cool, but I don't quite get your level of excitement for it here. Well, of course not. You've never been this excited about anything your whole goddamn life. You're a miserable cretin. Doesn't like things. I, I like lots of things. <laughs> well, you'd have a hard time showing it. Excuse me for actually trying to enjoy the thing that I'm reading and showing enthusiasm for it. Uh, unlike you. Dracula's come out of the screen. Kara doesn't even understand. They're not supposed to. She thinks, oh, the 3D's quite good, isn't it? Uh, Steph's a bit more concerned. Uh, the art here's a lot of fun. Like, them peeking over the, the chairs... Uh, watching for the Draculas. Uh, I did particularly like the joke here where Kara's, of course, she she literally rips her jumper, or sorry, sweater for the uh, the Americans uh, to reveal the S. And she's like, are, are, are you uh, ready to go? And Steph's like, uh, not unless you want to see my bra. And I, I think the, the response from Kara here is maybe my favourite line in the whole issue where she says, does it have a bat on it? <laughs> I think that's great. I think it's the follow-up that I like more. The the deadpan just blank stare going, I assure you that it does not. Do you know what the funny about that blank stare is? I, I, I think that blank stare to me feels like something she should be given a guy for cracking that joke. Coming from Kara, who's being very earnest with that line. She's not trying to be flirty. This is not this is not some guy trying to be pervy and be like, oh, is there a bat on it? There's a bat in your boobs. This is not what this is, right? That that, that garners this this deadpan I can assure you it does not. Uh, if anything, I think she's been a little little harsh on Kara here. As no, I, I get it here in that it's coming from a different angle of how she's not entirely, not everything about her is on brand. It's not not everything she wears is bat-related. If I was and bat- that's, why she, that's why she's annoyed at the assumption of, really, bats? If I was in the bat family, I'd, I'd have a bat symbol on my, on my boxes. I bet you would. You probably do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I ain't got any novelty boxers. I, well, be- I said that like it was a weird thing, but as if you can't just buy yeah. those at most stores. <laughs> I, I, I begrudge paying uh, the prices for the, the novelty logos. <laughs> no, it, it's it's all about just the, the plain ones that are like, no, that, 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 they do the job. Yes, yes. Uh, play, plain, I think, I think some of them are plaid. You know, 
No, very whatever. fancy. You know, the comfortable and cheap. That that's my two. That's the that's the the metrics. Comfortable, I agree with. I, I'm willing to pay more if they're, if they're more comfortable. You can get good, comfortable and cheap. You're fine. Anyway, uh, so there's a wonderful montage of them uh, after they learn the, the, how to stake them. Uh, they're suited up. It's like, hey, it's these weird. What are they? Control rods. Yes, the stakes. Uh, the, the the not stakes. Yes. Uh, so we get a wonderful montage of them going through the night, taking on twenty three of the twenty four Draculas, uh, and there's just a variety of different, uh, you know, there's, yeah. there's some jokes about what what, what can hurt Supergirl because Steph wasn't aware. Uh, and there's a two page layout of like various things of them taking them on in a photo booth, booth and then having photos by the end of it. Uh, chasing a Dracula in a Segway is one of them. Uh, the only thing that annoyed me about this page is. Why were the Draculas out of order here? Like up till that point, we'd gone through like in order. Like it was like you know two, three, and four on on the previous page, and it's like all of a sudden you know the first one on this is like Dracula twenty three. I'm like, why not just go through them in the order? I'm going to read them. I get it. It creates a, a general feeling of just like okay, that and then just it, it, that's what makes it feel like a montage. It would st- I feel like it would still feel like a montage, even if you show them in order. No, because this this really gave me the vibe of like music playing as we're having all these hijinks happening uh, around. Uh, no, the order to me makes makes some sense here. Fair enough, makes some sense here. Uh, so, uh, but then of course we we get to number twenty four, and this is the one that was the start of the issue sneaks up behind them. Uh, of course, they quickly just you know <laughs> flip around them and uh, stake them together. They, 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 they do a nice uh, like unison staking of this Dracula because uh, they couldn't decide who should be able to do it. So they hang out a little bit more. Carrie goes home, uh, but they agree to keep being friends and that they'll call each other if they need each other. They do a little pinky swear. Actually, I quite like this dialogue where Supergirl says BFF and Steph says only because you didn't say it plural. And Kara says, it already is plural. And Steph's like, please don't leave. <laughs> yeah. She's right, though, because the the first F is already plural, right? Yes, best friends forever. Yeah. But, but, but I get the point where usually it is written as BFF, whereas that would be incorrect. I thought you muted there for the last letter, so you sound like you just said BFF, completely negating your entire point. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I, got, I got nothing to say for that that's just annoying uh, uh, and yeah so that's 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 it yeah Kara flies home end of issue delightful little uh, adventure uh, playing to my taste for multiple reasons Play, obviously the Buffy comparisons are there but even just the idea of like, I'm going to see an old horror movie with Dracula in it and then having to fight Bela Lugosi <laughs> duplicates that are running around who mm. I, I do also like that they're on like a loop. They're just saying the same dialogue over and over about being alone. It's like I am so alone and tortured. Yeah, kind of thing. doomed. I think they said yeah, doomed. Yeah, they say that a lot. So a really fun issue. issue. Uh, yeah, so it's a great standalone issue. It's, it's some of the best issues of this run actually. Yeah, they are, Very and it's real nice to have Garbit back on solitary art duties. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Duran Perez has been solid. But I think this this book has shined best when it's had uh, you know Garbett taking it for himself. Yeah, it doesn't do any of the uh, 
you know, there's none of the, none of the detective stuff. There's none of the other relationships that are going on or ongoing plots. Uh, this is purely just their team up uh, with uh, the, the the wonderful banter and the sense of humor that this book has. Uh, as that, it's very good. Uh, but of course, I mean, Connor probably would think it belongs in the Supergirl book, but whatever. That is just completely untrue. You know it. Supergirl had a book at this point. Yes, she did. And if this... <coughs> See, if this I win! Been... I win! Car forfeits! I win! Car if forfeits. this had been in the Supergirl book, I would have enjoyed it just as much, and it would be equally valid. Because they both have books, so it's fine. That should have been a Batgirl, Supergirl one-shot. This is taking too much time away from Batgirl in this book, because Supergirl is there. Me, 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 me. Look, if there wasn't a Nightwing book, I wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have said, oh, this should have been in a one-shot. Bloody oh. hell. <laughs> what are you rating Batgirl 14? Uh, it's an 8.5. Uh, sure, great. <clears throat> yeah, uh, I, 9 out of 10 for me, baby. This is uh, uh, excellent stuff. Um, Alright, so that takes us out at the end of the show, where we pick our, our worst or favourite, uh, best art of the week. Uh, worst of the week? Uh, probably just Batman for me. It's it's that or Birds of Prey. I kind of you know equally thought were just okay. Yeah, yeah. Batman probably takes takes worse for me. Uh, but I still enjoyed it. So I mean, I guess I had a good week. Uh, we we cut out the one that I wasn't enjoying. So I'm mostly... you, you don't have the obvious choice every week no. now. Uh, evidence for the fact that last week I just uh yelled at Wonder Woman without thinking about it, and then went, oh wait, no, 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 that was good this week. No man. I think that uh, might have even taken your top spot last week. Uh, best art of the week. Good question. There's there's a a handful hmm. of competitors. I think yeah, Wonder Woman, Detective, and Batgirl probably the Batgirl. Maybe maybe even Justice League Power Rangers kind of is up there as well. I like Justice League Power Rangers, but I do think sometimes Burns' faces are a bit too cartoony for me. So I think it's really it's really consistent and it's really stylized. And I generally think it looks quite good, but it doesn't necessarily hit the same personal notes that some of these other books do. Yeah, it's just taste, though, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I will... I think all things considered, I'm probably going to go with Detective, just because it did such a good job of winning me over when maybe some other elements weren't. And I think that says something. But it was a hard choice, to be honest, because I think that Wonder Woman and Batgirl are all, all excellent art this week. Yeah. Um, I think I'll give it to Batgirl. I think it was partially as it was nice just having Garbet back on, on solitary art duties. Um, but also I think, you know, he nails a lot of the, the moments, like the deadpan stairs, things like that, that, uh, you know, really sell what that book is. Sure. Uh, but no, really good. Uh, so best book of the week then. Uh, I did give Batgirl a 9 out of 10, which was higher than everything else. So it's quite an obvious quick one to jump to for me. So Batgirl takes the, the kick. Okay. Uh, for me, I gave Batgirl and Wonder Woman both 8.5s, which was the highest. Um, I think I'm going to come down on Wonder Woman. Uh, I think it's just got slightly more going on than I'm excited by, even though I really like that issue of Batgirl as well. So, yeah. Well, there you go. That's episode uh, 18 of Previously in the Multiverse. Uh, there was a skip week last week, and that'll happen from time to time. Uh, basically, the, the day we recorded was just taken away from us because of uh, work schedule stuff and whatnot. 
Uh, and if that happens, we'll just have to skip a week. Uh, but we'll be back the following week. Nothing to worry about. Um, so thank you very much for joining us. I will take this time to thank our Patreon producers for the month. So thank you to... Let me scroll up my, my note here. Thank you to Tyler Hess, Cindy Palacios, David Short, Board Now, Al Treisman, Christopher Moy, Brett Williams, and David Brown. They are Patreon producers uh, for the month at the time of recording. Um, I say that because by the time this is public, it'll be next month. But Because uh, this is a month early on patreon.com slash TV uh, for all $5 and up patrons. But you can support us there for as little as $1 per month uh, to help feel warm and fuzzy. Uh, you're supporting the content, keeping it all coming, and uh, help paying for those uh, DC universe subs <laughs> if nothing else um so you can do that of course you can like subscribe if you're watching on youtube although this part won't be on youtube so i don't even know why i'm saying it here uh you listen to the audio version in which case uh, rate is on itunes or maybe your podcast from give us five stars and a review uh share is on the social medias uh and whatever else um so there you go um that just about does it there you go that is previous in the multiverse we will see you next time for episode 19 uh, so thank you once again for watching and listening. We always appreciate it. Keep reading DC Comics. And that shouldn't have been a Nightwing issue. <laughs>